Be seated. Amen. Amen. Let's give God another hand of praise. Amen. Last week, we began, we had our first launch, and we're absolutely excited about us launching. Um, we will have many different launches, but we thank God for the one that he gave us last week as we began our first service, and now this is our second uh, public gathering um, um, that God has allowed us to gather together. And last week, um, we began a verse-by-verse series um, through the book of John. Um, we we, we want to um, basically take this first verses from chapter 1, I mean, in chapter 1 from verses 1 through 18 to kind of zoom in on what John wants us to understand and what John wants us to get and how he wants us to, to kind of read this book in light of. He wants us to read this book in light of what's in chapter 1. So what we talked about last week is we, we're doing this series called, of course, Jesus Christ Unplugged. In other words, we want to unplug from the world's format of how they tell us we should be in relation to Christians, but not only that, in our view of Christ, in the world's view of Christ, unplugging from that view and making sure that what we hear and what we plug into is basically what's coming from the scriptures that God said about Jesus, that God says about Jesus Christ in his word. Also, we talked about last week, the title that we took for chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, was from riches to rags. And last week, we zoomed in on and focused in on um, Jesus in his riches as the pre-existent God. In other words, before he became, before he took on an, an additional nature, what he did was, is he eternally existed with God. So we saw in the beginning, the um, was the word, meaning that the word always existed, and the word was with God. And so the word had dynamic relationship and eternal fellowship with God, but the word was distinct from God uh, in some way, shape, or form. Then the latter part of that verse says, and the word was God. So you have, so the question we asked last week, are there two gods? No. The, the, the Bible talks about the, the, the Trinity, which is which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John pulls out, he's not trying to talk about all of the aspects of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. What he's trying to zoom in on is the deity of the Word of God. And so we dive into just bigging up the reality of the fact that the Word is God. We wanted to, we wanted to just zoom in on that reality. And so yet another week as we move into this week, we're moving into um, the rags aspect of the Lagos or, or the Word. So see, see, we talked about riches to rags, his riches in him in his pre-existent state, but now how he took on rags and how he allowed himself to come down and, 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 and kick it in human community to be able to bring God's format, his way of thinking, and his way of doing things. And so today we're going to tackle verses 6 through 18, and, and we're going to really focus deeply on um, verses 14 through 18. But I want you to, to trek with me because, the, first, the again, last week and this week is to lay a foundation and as I was working through um, things that we're going to talk about today, I wanted us to really have time to focus in on doctrine. 
Because one of the things that I've learned is, is that you can't assume that anyone understands anything these days. What you have to do is you have to uh, take extra effort to make sure that we're not just glazing over some stuff. Um, even though God is inexhaustible, we'll always continue to learn them. However, there's some fundamental things that God wants us to connect to to make clear in order that we can properly understand the format. So today is going to feel preachy and teachy at the same time, but I want you to trek with me because everything that John is laying out in verses 1 through 18 is helping us to have a proper view of Jesus as we go through the duration of this gospel. What we're going to talk about today um, uh, is, is, is a trip to me because it, 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 it is the thing that is one of the, I, I think, one of the second to least talked about doctrines that are, are, are not talked about, and that's the incarnation of the word. But it's a show on TV that kind of reminds me of the incarnation. It's, it, it, uh, it's called The Real Life. And, and, you, and you got um, Nicole and, 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 and old girl, what's her name? Paris. Yeah, y'all know. I see. I knew y'all knew. And, 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 and they, what they did was they, all of them, you know, Rick, uh, Nicole grew up in a house where her pops is worth 200, 300 million dollars. And, and, and homegirl Paris grew up in a house where it's no telling how much her parents worth. I mean, the Hiltons, they got crazy loot. I mean, so they got a lot of money. However, this show is funny. Um, I've, I've never really got a chance to watch it. I'm only seeing clips of it. But the focus of the show um, is, is these, these, these ladies who have all of this access to, to their father's riches, um, they, they were willing to, 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 to go and, 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 and take a road trip into some of the most back alley um, gutter spots around the country. So they take road trips. They take road trips to small towns that ain't got number 200 people. And, you know, and, 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 but, but, but what's so funny about them is they focus on the fact of their riches um, in wherever they went so that people are absolutely blown away that these two would actually even come around them and actually even spend time with them, change their clothes. Um, one, one, one episode I was speaking at, I saw one of them milking a cow, uh, um, um, ch- uh, sweeping up dung or doo-doo or whatever, you know, I mean, just doing all types of things just to expose themselves to the simple life. Well, well, Jesus Christ is a bit different than them, of course, but the principle is the same. You see, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was, of course, God and was enjoying the beauty of eternity, and now the Bible begins to zoom in on the Word, and they call the Word a person, but then went from there to begin to talk about his commercial. And then it says, and then he, it goes in verse 6, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. First principle, every spiritual figure must be seen in light of Jesus Christ. Every spiritual figure must be seen in view of Jesus Christ. What happened was, is a lot of people during their day right here, during their day, they, they believed that John was the Messiah. And so what John, what Jesus, what John wanted to do is make sure that the people around him understood that there was a, there was a deep distinction between John and Jesus. John was the commercial. 
John was the John was the A and R rep. John was the the marketing rep for Jesus Christ. In other words, what he did was he act he acted like um sort of a promoter, like a boxing promoter. What a boxing promoter does is a boxing promoter goes out and promotes a fight. And what he does is he promotes it. He makes sure it's marketed. He makes sure a lot of people is there. He makes sure that a lot of people turn their attention towards the fight, so that when the fight actually happens, there are a lot of people that are available and that are ready to see and enjoy the fight. John acted as a boxing promoter, and all John's job was was to get people to look at Jesus. In other words, all he was doing is calling a bunch of people to Jesus, and, John, and, and Deuce is going to talk about it more deeply next week. But what, what John wants us to get as a principle from this is, is that every spiritual figure, no matter how much we big them up, no matter how much we look at them, must be viewed in light of Jesus. See, he, do, he doesn't want anybody to get any intermingling with any other spiritual representative and someone putting their faith in anything and anyone except for Jesus Christ. And that not only goes from spiritually accepted kingdom representatives as leaders, but it also goes to unspiritual, separated from God leaders who we have embraced as icons of spiritual development. And so many of us as Christians, we need to begin to evaluate. We need to evaluate who we look up to. We need to evaluate who we look up to and ask ourselves, is, is, am I allowing someone to occupy too much space in my mind? Am I allowing someone to occupy too much space in my life in a place, in a, in, 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 in a, in a throne where Jesus Christ should be? And so we got to be very, very careful of that. So, so John, John dives into it, and, I mean, and he does it beautifully in talking about he, he said he was actually sent from God. So he says uh, he was a missionary for God. So he, I, I'm, not, I'm not downing the fact that this cat was sent. He says, but let's, let's make some differences here. He said he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light. So we talked about last week that light is, 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 is that expression of the Lagos or the word or Jesus Christ by which he comes to expose all darkness. Real simple. And so all John was to do was not be the light, but reflect light from the light through how he lived his life and through how he introduced the light to people. So he was a commercial. He says that everyone might believe through the light. So what's dope is John understood his position. See, many spiritual leaders, many leaders, many people don't properly understand their position, and they begin to mix their position up with Jesus' position. And so what's a very important thing as we talk about from riches to rags is, is really understanding what it's like to embrace Jesus and, and, and re, not reject spiritual leaders, but view them in light of Jesus. But then he says he was not the light. So Paul does, I mean, John does a banging job of making sure that the people of God understood and the unbelievers that are listening and the Jews and the Greeks, that they understand the difference between this. Keep checking with me because all of this culminates into something. But then he says, but came that he might bear witness of the light. And so, so, so we stop there. But then it goes, but then it begins to go further and it says there was the true light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Next, 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 
principle. Everyone must know that Jesus Christ has the power to give spiritual sight. Jesus Christ has the power to give spiritual sight. When you look right here, he says there was a true light. Now, this, of course, just points to genuine light because there were lights because God called Israel to be a light. However, they were limited light because everything culminates in Jesus. Everything, everything in the Old Testament, every promise, every book, everything within the Old Testament that was ever said were only signs with finger pointings pointing to Jesus. Every prophet, every priest, every king, every example, every single thing points to Jesus. And so, and so what happens here is, 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 is John wants to say that there has been light. I don't want to exonerate the fact that there has been light. However, there's the true light that which the lights that came before him got their light from, even if they didn't know it. And then it says, which coming into the world. So now it's talking about the Lagos coming into the world. So it's talking about this light not only just being way up in the sky somewhere, transcendent, untouchable, um, uh, uh, an inability to relate to, so, uh, uh, holier than that, but the willingness to come into the world. And so it says coming into the world enlightens every man. Now this, now this word enlightens every man is an interesting word. It's, it's a word that, that, that's good of committing to memory. It means exposing all who come into contact with him to God's blueprint. Now, let me explain something. Just because someone is exposed to God's light doesn't mean that they actually receive the light. See, what he, he's not trying to give a principle of universalism that everybody's coming to Jesus. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when the light comes in the world, the lights, the, the gear of eternity is going to be so banging on the inside of this light that what's going to happen is that when light shows up, whether you accept him or not, it will enlighten you. Now, how are you enlightened without coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Because someone would say, well, if it says it enlightens every man, then that means every man will be enlightened in the sense of trusting Christ. No, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, is that every man will have their lack of enlightenment exposed. So what happens is, is, is many of you in, in, in secular situations, what happens is, is persecution comes from the light of Christ blazing through you in a way that it enlightens the people around you to either come to the Lord Jesus Christ or to reject Jesus Christ. And when a person is rejecting Christ, they're actually showing the fact that they've experienced uh, seeing the light. And so John wants to make sure, he says, look, the, 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 the light, the ultimate light, the Lagos, when he comes to blaze the trail, what he came down to blaze the trail was to do was to make available the ability for everybody to know that they're in darkness. He says, so he enlightens every man. But I like this. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The world was made through him. We talked about the creative power of the light last week. We talked about that. And, what, and, and what's funny about that is the one who created the world, when he showed up on the scene, nobody recognizes him. It's funny, listen to old school hip-hop artists like, you know, Grandmaster Flash, um, African Bombarda, um, KRS-One, um, all those cats from the late 70s, early 80s, 
and, and how they talk about hip-hop today. It, it's, it's funny how they talk about the, 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 the young boys, the, the new school hip-hop ladies and gentlemen. What they'll do is they'll begin to tell the, 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 the young heads, they'll tell them, look, you don't understand hip-hop. And they'll say, how in the world would you tell me that I don't understand hip-hop? I can spit on the mic, you know what I'm saying? I can produce, I'm selling albums. How in the world are you going to tell me that I, don't, I got the gear, I, I, I got the ladies, I got the crystal? How in the world are you going to tell me I don't understand hip-hop? Well, what's so funny is, is they say, the reason why you don't understand hip-hop is you don't understand who made the way for you to be able to experience hip-hop. And so what, what John is saying is, is you don't know who, when Jesus Christ came in the world, when he walked past, you weren't even blown away by him because you weren't embracing him as the eternal light. And so Jesus Christ came on the scene. Can you imagine making a way for somebody, creating everything, even creating them, and them not recognizing you and rejecting you? And Jesus Christ came and wasn't even recognized. And in his inability, his, not his inability, his unwillingness to unavail the, tr- the fullness of his identity was an act of grace and tells me deeply of his lack of pride um, and, 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 his, and the bangingness of his humility. Because you know what? If it was me, man, I, I mean, look, man, I would have, I would have, you know, I'd have been like, what you say to me? What'd you say to me? I'd have took my ear back like that and just, just lit everybody up, had light just come out and wipe every. I mean, I, you know, somebody, not rec- you're not going to recognize me, you know, but, but Jesus, Jesus was so focused on his mission. We're going to talk about, the in, 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 about incarnational ministry and what this has to do practically with, with, with us walking in the reality of the incarnation. And it says, and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Oh, they received him not, the old King James Version. I know heard somebody quote the old joint. Um, the, his own received him not. But basically, when Jesus came on the scene and he came to his own, his own were, were not willing uh, to embrace him because that's why his first sermon was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he was saying, change your mind about how you think God is going to do things. Because what happened is, is they had already created in their mind how God was going to do things. And because they it created in their mind how God was going to do things and how they felt like God should do it, what happened is, is when the light came into the world, they were unable to recognize him because they were looking for something else. And many times in our life, we got to be very careful of the same thing. Always ushering in our mind how we believe God should do things. And we'll be praying and fasting and crying and shouting and wondering why what we've been asking God for isn't coming to pass. And know why? It's because, listen, it's because we've embraced something that God won't do. And we think he'll do it because we have created in our minds how we believe God is going to do it. So our way of thinking and our way of doing things is God and God isn't. And so one of the things we have to be very intricately careful of is making sure that all of our passions and all of our desires are properly lined up with the revelation of God through Jesus Christ as the light. And asking God meticulously to expose, to expose me, to expose me. But when Jesus came on the scene, nobody wanted to be exposed for this. Nobody wanted to be sick. They, they said, this is how we believe he's coming. And when he's come, he didn't say he was going to look like you. A poor cat, ain't got no loot. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
uh, 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 you're a carpenter, plumber type dude, you know, with a tool belt around your waist with an ephod on, you stink, you're dirty, um, you, you know, I mean, how in the world, like, how in the world is God going to come like that? Uh, hair not done. Um, you've been laying on the ground, uh, cutting away at wood. There's dirt all on your back. Your your your, your tunic is dirty. You 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 you're sweaty, and 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 and, and you don't have much. How, wh- if God has everything, why would He come like that? Why would He come like that? And we've been talking about even in in, in our little underground Bible study how God always does things backwards. Always. Always, always, always. If if man has focused on the front door, God is going to focus on the back door. But the issue is, is God doesn't wait for man to focus. He pre-focuses on what he chooses to, and man is going to focus on what he knows God is not going to focus on inherently because we're all fallen, darkened. And so what happened is, is that instead, like, 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 like one of the things that we, we need to begin to do is embracing this backwards way, which we'll talk about in a minute. But then he goes on in verses 12, getting into meat and potatoes of this thing. It says, but, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. As many as received him, that just points to people trusting in him. Stay with me. But then it says he gave them the right. Now, I've talked to some, peop- I've talked to some people who who would believe that just because Jesus Christ, you believed on Jesus Christ doesn't mean you accepted the right that he's given you to be a child of God. That's not the proper understanding of he gave them the right. Let's understand the, way, uh, the, the understanding of this word. The word there is exousia, which means power or authority. Okay? It means power or authority. He's not saying that, that we believe in him and then he gives us the authority to now be children of God, he's saying what he's done is giving us the authority and the authorization to access everything that he has access to that humans can have access through through Jesus. See, basically, it, 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 giving him the right shows his ex- the exclusiveness of his relationship um, with the Father. It, it shows the exclusiveness of the relationship with the Father in that when he gives right, when we c- trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what happens is, is we come into God's eternal family. That's the term called adoption. We'll talk about it in a minute. But what happens is, is when we come into God's eternal family as adopted as sons, what happens is, is there are certain rights and privileges that come with that. That's called the right. The right has to do with what does it mean and what does it look like to be a child of God and to enjoy everything that God makes available to his children. It kind of reminds me of the, of the, of the movie uh, The Sixth Day Arnold Schwarzenegger was in. He, he tried to um, put a fingerprint. There. Everything was, uh, in this building was, was very limited access. But he went to a, a restricted access area. And, and what happened was is, is he um, used a finger to put on to get access to a certain area, and he got locked out. Because he, and the reason why he got locked out was because he didn't have authorization to access that aspect of the building. When it talks about we have been given the right to be children of God, it means that wherever we put the fingerprint that God has placed on us based on being born into his eternal family, we have access to it. What are those things? Number one, we have access to the discipline of the Lord. See, 
The Bible says if you're an illegitimate child, you're not God's child. And God disciplines those who he what? Loves. And so, and so one of the things that come as a blessing of having the right, you have the right to get your butt whooped. Amen. I know now I'm going to get too many amens on getting whoopings by God. But, 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 but that's one of our rights. And, and, and when we get, when we experience that right, we should actually worship. We should actually worship. I remember my parents used to tell me back in the day, they said, Eric, don't, l- listen, they said, don't, d- I used to say, Why, how come so-and-so, you know, their parents let them do what they want to do? They said, well, you're not in their house. And God is saying, when you're in my house, there are certain things that you have access to and you don't have access to. Discipline of the Lord. Not only discipline of the Lord um, that, that he gives us the right to have, but also answered prayer. To get a prayer through. To reject sin. Um, longing for God through Christ. Like none of us before we trusted Christ longed for God. See, many of you who actually have spent time with the Lord before and have experienced the joy of God's presence, when you're not experiencing his presence, what happens is if something feels wrong to you, until you get stuff back in order through prayer, that's, that's, that's a sign that you're a child of God. That's, that's a sign that you're a child of God. Not only that, but joy. Joy. In other words, no matter what you go through, you have the ability, listen, to not allow the situation to overtake you in such a way that you don't remember your status in front of God through Jesus Christ. Joy. Not only that, peace. Peace. Same principle. Patience. Lord, have mercy. In our traffic situation, you got the ability as a child of God to be patient. Amen. Favor. Favor. Favor is that act of God's grace by which, listen, he causes stuff to happen that you didn't work to make happen. <laughs> Let me say that again. Favor is that aspect of the right of being a child of God where some stuff begin to happen that you didn't calculate, that you didn't think up, that, that you didn't put on a timetable. That, I mean, you, and God just made it happen. You just got to say, that's favor. That's favor. God has given us the right as children of God to experience God's beautiful hand of favor. That's not why I'm here to preach to preach favor. Mercy. Mercy. And, um, for, for God not to take us out. Conviction when sinning. Conviction when sinning. That's another right. Grief of the Holy Spirit. There's so many of them. Access, access wor- accepted worship by the Father. Understanding the scriptures. Understanding the Bible is another aspect of it. I always tell unbelievers, when an unbeliever asks me a question, why can't I understand? Why did the Bible seem to be written in codes? I said, because you don't have God inside of you. And I said, because you're not reborn, you were born the wrong way, and you never was born the right way, it's going to still be a cloud to you. Understanding word and experiencing future and final blessings. So, so, so that's what, that's what he's talking about here when he talks about the right to, the, the, the right to become children of God. Now let's talk about doctrinally. Again, this is a doctrine Sunday. Um, to, uh, the right to become a child of God. That expression is an expression when you see sons of God, um, 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 throughout the New Testament and when you see children of God throughout the New Testament, it's the idea called adoption. Of adoption. Adoption, listen, adoption is is the act of God's grace 
by which he brings men and women into the number of his redeemed family and makes them partakers of the blessings that he has provided. Um, adoption also represents relations through new believers, through introduced through uh, justification and the privileges connected with it. And so, and so what adoption does is adoption is God's uh, unfailing compassion to draft people into his eternal family that were not his family. Change their nature and allow them at his table of blessing. Child of God. So what the word comes to do is the word became, the word is, has come or through light has, in, uh, has re- revealed himself in, in a way that has caused those who believe in him to have the right to be children of God. So be adopted into God's family. Then it says, even to those who believe on his name. And so John doesn't, get, doesn't just give name, although he, he doesn't give the name of Jesus yet at this point in the passage because it's kind of like a saga. But basically, name just meant more in antiquity or the first century than it means to us now. Um, um, what, what it meant to them is whatever the embodiment of that character um, can, can, can receive, you're able to experience and receive also. It was just like when somebody told me, man, I got a hookup at this store. A friend of mine, you know, and it's not, it's not a, you know, some hookups are, are people stealing from their bosses. And then there are other hookups that are genuinely able to be experienced based on the authority that's been given to that person to allow, amen, I, I got to qualify that because some of y'all walk out of here and tell I knew I could get that hookup. I, I'm glad the preacher said it this morning. But no, nah, that's not what I'm saying. He's talking, the, 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 the hookup that I'm talking about is a person that has the freedom without sin to give you a blessing. And so one time I was, I went, this guy said, man, you should go over so-and-so. This man, I got a little hookup over here, man, and you should go over there and, and, and get that hookup. I was like, all right, I'm going to roll through. Like, but, I mean, I said, the man don't know me. He said, he said, he said, don't worry about it. He says, all you got to do is give him my name and tell him that I sent you. That's what our relationship with the Lagos is like, is whenever we go to the Father now, all we do is, is, is do some name throwing. We can throw the name on the table. You know, some people bring up names to show you who they're in relationship with so you can look better at them just because. But no, nah, this is the only righteous way that you can name toss and bring up names in a way that can actually be a righteous and absolutely holy and filled with God's blessing and God's eternal approval. So throw around the name of Jesus when you want to. But then it goes and it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All of that the, the, um, were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, and the will of man just points to a person being naturally born. Talking about intercourse, the act of intercourse is the force of the language here. In other words, we weren't reborn through uh, a natural childbirth again. No, nah, he says, but these were born by a supernatural divine act of God by which he, through the cross of Jesus Christ, kills who you were first born as and recreates you as a new eternal experience, to be able to experience all the eternal blessings of God, a brand spanking new human being by God. But then he goes deeply in, in, into, the, into the nooks and crannies of, 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 of our conversation today, the incarnation, the incarnation. This is when he points to the word actually becoming rad. It said, and the word 
became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. My, my, my favorite New Testament verse. He says, and the word who he was talking about in verse 1, who eternally existed, who not only eternally existed, but was relating and enjoying fellowship eternally with God the Father, and not only was enjoying relationship eternally with God the Father, but was also distinct from God the Father in in person, but not in essence, because it says, and the Word was God, meaning that everything that makes God God, that we talked about last week, the Word is. The Word is eternity. The Word is spirituality. The Word is justice. The Word is grace. The Word is holy. The word is uh, a glory. The word expresses itself in wrath. The word is love. The word is everything that God is. The word is omniscient. The word is omnipresent. The word is omnipotent. The word is everything that God is. And he says all of that, the word who was existing, the word who enjoyed God, and the word who was God um, eternally and still is God eternally because eternity isn't time, he says has now Put on a suit. The word became flesh. Now, it's interesting that he didn't use body. The word for body, soma. He uses flesh. See, that points to all, what flesh talks, the word there points to is all of that which comes with being in a fleshly body without the trappings of sin. See, see, the difference between Jesus' birth and our birth is our egg was fertilized by someone. But Jesus' egg wasn't fertilized. Jesus was created in his humanity and then put as a human and then put deity inside of that. There's a big difference. Therefore, listen, Jesus does not have the trappings of the original sin of Adam to deal with, making him the second Adam. So therefore, he doesn't, he, he's not trapped by sin in the way he, we are, even though he's tempted in all light. What does it mean, tempted in all light? That means that the presentation of sin was made available. That's what a temptation is. It doesn't mean your desire grabbed out at it for it. It just means it was presented to him. And Jesus exercised his second Adamness by not grabbing hold of sin. But then it says he dwelt, a rich word, a rich, a rich word, which, which points back to, it means he pitched his tent or made permanent residence among us. Um, 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 it has a sense of the, the, the old tabernacles in the Old Testament. When you saw how Abraham and those cats, they would call upon the name of the Lord and God would bring fire down from heaven. It points back to the Mosaic tabernacle. It was just crazy talking about how God created the, had the, they had the curtain. They had the curtain, this joint right here. They had, they had this, this, this curtain around it. And, 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 and this is kind of like the, the outer area. Then this is the inner area. But then we have the holiest of holies. This place right here. 
Jesus, the, the, the glory, the glory that was here that Moses looked at face to face was not the glory of the sum total of God's essence as God because God would have wiped him out. He was looking in the face of the glory of the Son, the pre-incarnate Christ. And so what happens is, is God's glory cloud would come down on it. And it says, and the word tabernacle. He says, this was the original tabernacle that when, 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 when Moses would go in uh, Exodus 33, what would happen is, is that the Shekinah glory of God would settle on the tabernacle. And when Moses left, the Shekinah glory would be lifted and it would hover over the people. And when, and when they went by day, when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when this glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God would begin to move, they would pack up and move because God was moving them to their promised land. It's so many imageries of Jesus in this thing. It's ridiculous. I ain't even got time to go over. But what's so crazy about this is it says, and the word became flesh. Now I want to show you the Solomonic temple real quick. This is, the, this is Solomon's temple. So, so this is the outside of it. I want you to look at this. Now, this is a construction of it. This is the outer court, uh, of the outer court, the inner court, and the holies of holies of, of the temple. And this is the altar that when people would bring their sacrifices to the altar, they would come here. Stay with me. They would come here, and they would burn sacrifices that would get credit in here, in here, even though the sacrifices are out here. But now look at this. This is the, this is the outside of the temple. Look at, the, look at the shape. Now, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything. But look at the shape of the temple from the top. Look at that. And the word became flesh. Listen, remember, everything in the Old Testament was a type and a shadow of what was going to be revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, but it just looks. Somebody told me last night it was like a robot. But look at the shape. I mean, look at the, look at the place of the holies of holies. And look at, looks like a crown. I'm just saying, it just looks crazy to me that this is, this that the holies of holies almost looks like, I mean, that, that, this, that the whole Solomonic temple, tabernacle, the place of sacrifices is where feet would be. And, and up, I'm, I'm just, I mean, it's just tripping me out how, how close this is. When the word became flesh, he wanted to take out of existence the ceremonial aspects of the temple and put it in a body. Where the holies of holies, the Shekinah glory of God would not just come down per, uh, for, for, for a little while. But it says the glory of God tabernacled in Jesus. That means all of the glory plus some. Because see, the Bible will talk about in the minute the limited glory of this period. And we'll talk about the unending glory of the new period. And so God is saying so much to us through the incarnation and Jesus Christ tabernacling among us. And listen, all of the temples, from the altars that Abraham did, from the altars that Jacob did, from the tabernacle that Moses developed, from, from, the, from the building of the Solomonic temple, even the temple that was rebuilt in the second temple period, all points to Jesus. It says in, in Haggai 2.9, it says, And the latter glory 
of this house, remember we were talking about it, shall be greater than the former glory. And it named it this house, even though it's a second rebuilt house of the first, the first two houses. What's, what's beautiful about this is that it, was, it never came to pass until Jesus came on the scene and shows what it looks like for the latter glory to be intensively and more greater than the former glory. And so Jesus Christ, listen, he's the prototype of the new temple. He's the prototype of not going somewhere to experience God. See, see, that's what he took away. He took away going somewhere so that wherever we are, because the Bible says that the gathered believers are God's temple being built. Listen, I don't have time to go over all of it, but the Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Then it talks about built upon the foundation, Ephesians 2.20, the apostles and prophets, the foundation. You wouldn't build the foundation first. You would build the cornerstone first, the foundation being laid. And then what would happen is if you turn over to 1 Peter 2, I don't have time for it. But when you go over to 1 Peter 2, it talks about being us being living what? Stones. Whenever a person trusts Jesus Christ as, a Lord, and sa- as Lord and Savior, they're added to an eternal building. And this eternal building, listen, this eternal building will be the eternal dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. And what's happening is every time someone trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we walk in the reality of Jesus being the prototype new reflector of God's glory. And so God has called us as believers to be tabernacles. Do you not know? That your body is the what? Temple of who? Yes. The living God. God is not esoterically living inside of us. Now, let me tell you a difference real quick. There's a difference between the way God came in Jesus and the way he comes in us. Before we walk away thinking that we little deities like some preachers teach. The difference is, is that the, the Godhead, we're not the person of the Son that comes inside of us and live, lives inside of us, connected to flesh eternally. That's not the same thing. What happens is, is because we've been born again, the insides of us have been made holy enough for God to fellowship inside of us. Is God of God inside of us? No. But in some way, shape, or form, mystically, that I cannot absolutely explain, he's inside of us. And he, we have a deep relationship with him through that. I got to move forward. But then he says, and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. John is talking from a first-person perspective. Then dwelt among us. I want to real quickly go through a concept called, I want you to read after me, the hypostatic union. Say it again. The hypostatic union. Let me, can I explain that for a second? And what I want us to do is I want us to, and this is just foundation for us to look at and view and understand the rest of the book. So stay with us and don't get too bored yet. It says, meaning of hypostatic union. The hypostatic union may be defined as the second person, the pre-incarnate Christ, came and took to himself a human nature. Very, very, very specific language. He already had God's, the eternal nature of God, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't change from God into a human being. He added 
to the second person of the Trinity a, a, un, a non-sinful human nature. Okay? And so, and so, and so, and forever remains undiminished. In other words, continues to be untouched deity. You can't touch him. And true humanity. So Jesus, by essence, I like the way Philippians 2 talks about it. It says he existed in the form of God and then was found in the form of man. That word form there is the word morphe, where we get our word uh, metamorphosis from. But what's so, what's, what's, what's deep about the word is not metamorphosis, him changing into something. Formed by its essence just mean what makes man man and what makes God God. All of that in 100% Jesus Christ is. And so believers, these are very important things that each believer needs to think through, needs to meditate on, and needs to embrace. So that when someone asks you what makes your God different, you can say, oh, you ain't got a God like this. I mean, a God that's not just triune, but added to to took upon himself another nature, a human nature, which made him true human. It says when Christ came, a person came, not just a nature. That's clear. And it says, and he took on an additional nature, a human nature. He did not simply dwell in a human person. That's important. The result of the union are two natures is a theanthropic person that's called the god man now let's explain that a little more deeply just for a moment as we move forward it says the two natures of christ were inseparably united without mixture so you don't have like uh, humanity stirring up it's stirring up in deity and you don't have deity stirred up in humanity but some mystical bugged out way you have two separate natures that don't make two persons, but that's united in one person. <laughs> that is crazy. And then it says, and then, it's, and then it says, and he remains forever fully God and man. So what's going to be crazy is Christ's death on the cross will be an eternal reminder to us. Why? Because he will continue to be he would continue to be a human being for eternity, but that didn't stop him from continuing eternally to be God. Then it says, through Christ sometimes op- uh, 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 operated in the sphere of his humanity and in other cases in the sphere of his deity. In all cases, what he did and what he has could be attributed to his one person. So you can't divide the two. And so, and so, and so what's crazy about, about Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, when he tabernacled among us, when he tabernacled among us, listen to this, he gave up the right to independently use all of his eternality, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his love, his grace, on his own initiative and submitted it to the Father's authority and allowed the Spirit to live inside of him so that when he did miracles, that it was done through the Holy Spirit, he didn't cheat. He didn't cheat. He remained really human, but he still remained really God without flossing his godness while he was human. I got to move on. It's too much. So we'll get in a doctrine class and talk some more about some doctrine. But we just, I, but, but we as believers, we need to know these things. And these things need to be taught and these things need to be preached. But then, it, but then it goes on and it says, and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Wow. Wow. 
Again, another word, doxa, which points back to the word kabod, which means glory. Glory means weight, the sum total of one's worth. They said when he was walking, John said when Jesus was walking and they did not see the fullness of his deity, they beheld his glory and they're pointing also to the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw a little bit of his glory. But then it says, we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten. Begotten is better translated, only unique. Unique from the Father. Full of grace and truth means that Jesus was controlled by grace and he was controlled by truth. Now that expression points back to terminology, again, from the Old Testament. Listen, where the word hesed is a word that usually is translated in the Psalms, loving kindness. It's a really an untranslatable word that really just means God's loyalty to love us. It says that when God tabernacled himself in the person of Jesus Christ in a human body, it says he was controlled by God's loyalty to love us. He's controlled by that. So everything that he did, he didn't do in in judgment because he said, I'm not coming to judge this time. But he says, I am going to judge. But what he wanted us to experience is the embodiment of all of God's eternal loyalty, all of God's patience, all of God's faithfulness, all of God's long suffering on earth. But then he goes forth and he says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me, pointing, of course, to his cousin who's three months older than him, now saying that Jesus is older than him. But then verse 16, and it says, for of his fullness, for us his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So of his fullness, this talks points to, this points to um, all of what God has to offer. The fullness of what God has to offer, believers have received, and it's grace upon grace. It's it's talking about grace from the Old Testament now being coupled on top of the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. However, the Bible is saying that the grace that was even experienced by the cats in the Old Testament was the grace, was a pre, was a pre-expression of the grace that God was going to fully reveal in favor through Jesus Christ. Then it says, for the law was given, that's how you know the difference, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, chesed, were realized through Jesus Christ. He says, no, no man has seen God at any time. Now remember, it says in Exodus 34 that Moses used to talk to God face to face. Now, how is the Bible now going to say no man has seen God at any time? Well, God told, God told Moses, look. You can't stay at all of this. This is too much for you. So what I'm going to do is, is, is I'm going to cover you up and I'm going to walk past you. And when I walk past you, I'll let you see my hind parts and what it looks like when I walk past. So it, it, what you're going to see is what everything looks like when, I, when, when a physical manifestation of myself comes past and touches with my glory and the emanation of my light. And in the, in, in the Old Testament, we'll see when we get to John 12, that those expressions of the person talking to, to, to Moses was not God the Father, but God the Son, um, because God the Father's first time coming to planet Earth is going to be in Revelation 21. 
And so he walked past and he saw the hind parts of Jesus. Then it says, no man has seen God at any time. It says, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained them. This is, this is dope. The only unique God. So he's not saying that God was born, but he's talking about Jesus in flesh is still God. It says, who is in the bosom of the Father. So while he's talking about the fact that Jesus was in the incarnation, he still was somehow in his incarnation still experiencing and taking orders from God. That's why Jesus didn't say, I tell you what I heard. When we get to John, he's going to say, I'm telling you what I heard hear present tense from the father so the deity of christ still hears from god the father and expresses that reality through the power of the holy spirit through a human body crazy stuff who is in the bosom the 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 the, the, the terminology of of bosom is is some banging is it's banging because it's an idiomatic expression it just means as a place of honor and fellowship a place to dine in a place of honor to be in close association with someone to be in someone's embrace, to be cherished by someone as an object of intimate care and dear affection. When someone says that and he was in his bosom, it just doesn't mean that they were chilling together. It points to the beauty of a dope relationship that is absolutely uninhibited by anyone or anything. Jesus Christ being in the bosom of the Father is able to properly explain the Father better than Moses, better than Elijah, better than Elisha, better than David, better than Samuel, better than Isaiah, better than Micah, better than Amos, better than John, better than Malachi, better than every last one of them cats because those cats heard from God, but the Lagos was with God. And because he was with God, he didn't just get it through an angel. He didn't just get it by God speaking from heaven. No, he was sitting there having an eternal cup of coffee and some biscuits with God. And he was listening to God. And, and what's so dope about it is everything that he tells, um, he didn't learn from God. It's just he's just letting us in on the eternal discussion that he and God have been having, even though they don't learn and build one another up to grow because God doesn't need to grow. But they just eternally just enjoy talking about the stuff they already knew about each other and when jesus christ came in the flesh he said i just want you to let you in on what me and god get geeked off of all the time the word became flesh and dwelt among us a few things on that based on that reality we are to be incarnational representatives of the cross because jesus was willing to come from his heavenly abode to planet earth we as believers also must take our P's and Q's from that reality. Some of you, God is going to call you to some interesting places. God is going to call you to places of discomfort, places of frustration, places that you wouldn't have chose. And God is going to ask you, listen, God is going to ask you, are you willing to walk in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? If I can abandon all of my, uh, abandon the, the abode a fully, in some way, shape, or form that's unexplainable, leaving heaven and coming to earth and experiencing this rat trap called a planet, how in the world can any of us in this room, me included, complain about where God calls us to be? Every one of us. An incarnational ministry doesn't mean um, doing it in terms that doesn't allow you to deal with the difficulties of what it means to actually do it. 
it means that you have to take on the aspects, listen, the aspects of what makes that place that God is calling you actually hard. In other words, you can't cheat. You got to fully embrace every aspect of everything that God calls you to, because if you don't, you're cheating, and the intensity of that incarnational ministry won't be as banging. And so what God wants us as believers to do is, 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 is not cheat. It's not cheat and begin to embrace it. How did Jesus do it? In Philippians chapter 2, it, 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 it exalts it as humility. And also, we can look at it as sacrifice. And some of us, in what God is calling, him to, calling us to do, God is calling us to incarnational sacrifice. Some of you have gotten banging degrees and stuff. And God wants you to maybe take a job that's closer to his heart that doesn't pay you what you're worth. Listen, Jesus didn't get paid what he was worth either. Look, what did Jesus do? Jesus had the dude that he knew that was going to portray him have a box of money. Now, y'all know that wasn't much money. Like these prosperity cats, some of Jesus was rich. A little box of money, I don't care how many denarii you got up in there. That ain't a lot of money. A box. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so. And, and, and Jesus didn't accept all of the things that he could have accepted. He could have accepted an immediate crown. And when, we, and when we talk about Jesus in the wilderness experience of 40 days and 40 nights, listen, everything that Satan offered Jesus on a temporal level, God was already offering him on an eternal level. And, and, and the thing that we have to realize with incarnational ministry is that today is not the payday. If we, if we never forget that if we think God owes us something now, God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe him everything. And because of that, many of you in the coming months and coming weeks, I believe are going to go through, I'm not prophesying or anything, but I believe you're going to go through some challenges. I believe you're going to go through some, some challenges that God is going to deeply, God doesn't give a word from Scripture and doesn't back it up with a challenge to apply it. Never. That's just his way of thinking and his way of doing things. Many of you on several levels, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in your singleness, whether it's in your parenting, whether it's in your working situation, whether it's in how much stuff you have, whether it's in how you reach out to people and stop having such a tight schedule that no one can spend time with you. Incarnation. I like the way Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 talks about the incarnation. It says, and Jesus Christ had to become like his brethren in all aspects. So Jesus didn't say, I want to be born a Roman. I can save him as a Roman. He was born a Jew. A rejected people. And he was born during a time. What they wasn't, it wasn't during the time of David or Solomon when he was born. The fullness of time was the lowest time. <laughs> and I believe we're in the lowest time of our period. And God has called us to incarnational ministry within this community and the city and in the world. 
where we don't stack upon ourselves things that push us away from experience a relationship with the reality of how real things are because when you're separated from it what will happen is is you won't be properly able to transmit the reality of God being light in Jesus Christ to that situation because you'll talk about things from a far away perspective rather than an incarnational up and close perspective that's why God has called us to this city, all of us who are in this city. He's called us to not just be incarnational in a neighborhood. He wants us to be incarnational in the city. And that's going to happen through Epiphany Fellowship, through being a church planting church, planting other churches who can continue to be incarnational representatives where they live and dwell. Getting to know our neighbors around us is incarnational. Taking them some food just to holler, so, uh, uh, giving them some wa- a bucket of water ice and just say, man, I just wanted to say what's up. Man, I don't know where you go to church. Boom. And taking the reality of God to them, but then also gathering them so that we can bring them in the community of saints by God's grace so they can see all of what God has to represent incarnationally and in representing his kingdom by God's grace. So I pray that we would all begin to live in light of the reality of Christ's incarnation. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the only begotten Son um, who is our example of sacrifice, of humility. Um, Some of us are are even frustrated where we are. and we, We just see the example of Jesus Christ coming from riches to rags um, and his willingness to do that. Lord, I don't want us to forget that reality. I want us to embrace that, Lord God, and walk with Jesus Christ in all aspects, not just in some aspects. And so, God, in the name of Christ, I pray that we would be in where we live and dwell, incarnational, word become flesh, representatives help us not to just emphasize heavenly mindedness without practicing heavenly mindedness because we know that true heavenly mindedness is of earthly good and so god i pray in the name of jesus christ that as a community of faith that we would continue to walk forth in all that you've called us to do and all that you've called us to be. I pray for our sisters. I pray for our brothers in our midst, Lord God, that you would um, bless all of us to begin to have things that are right under our nose as missional opportunities to come forth. And maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in the God who became flesh and dwelt among us and who did that through the power of God and who lived a life that we can never live and died the death that we can never die and was raised from the grave. And the beef that God had with us, he put on Jesus and crushed the beef for those he gave the right, who believe he gave the right to become children of God. If you've never experienced the right the rights and privileges of being a child of God. And you know that those things, that was me. I, I don't, you, you know, I don't experience like discipline. I feel like I'm cursed. 
That's signs of not being a child of God. Answered prayer, unanswered prayer, all type of stuff. But the ultimate thing is not just the stuff that we get, but to re- God to restitch the relationship together that he wants to have with us through Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip your hand in the air. Just slip your hand in the air. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else who wants to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, and as we take our offering, Lord, um, we just pray for those who have just trusted Christ um, that you have um, that you have in your grace, Lord God, brought them um, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through true conversion. Bless the duration of our time as we get ready to come to a close. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.